and verse 3. And if you would stand with me as I pray and ask for God's blessing and then read from verse 3 of Amos. Let's pray together. Now, blessed God, we ask that you would impress us with our role and responsibility, our obligation, Lord, to confess the Lordship of Christ publicly and openly. Lord, that we would not fall victim to many of the errors that are among your people but that we would by Your Word and Spirit be made wise and understanding men and women. That we truly could could be uh, the, the men of our time, understanding the days in which we live. That we would be wise. That we wouldn't be weak-minded. That we wouldn't be so emotionally driven that we would neglect, forget, or put aside what you have clearly revealed in your word. Now, Father, we pray as we begin our study upon the Apostles' Creed that you would impress us this morning with our obligation to confess the truth. And we pray, O Lord, that your word would be made clear to us and that You would melt our hearts, Lord. You would conform us and transform us into the blessed image of Christ, Lord, through the ministry of prayer and the Word and the sacraments. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Now, beloved, Amos chapter 3 and verse 3. Do two men walk together unless they have made an agreement? And thus ends the word of God, you may be seated. Now, brothers and sisters, I plan to read many passages from God's holy and infallible Word. But before I do so, I want to begin asking you a series of questions in order to stir your intellect and get the, the, the juices of your intellect flowing so that you might be able to properly benefit from the message that God has given me for you this morning. When we think about the truth, when we think about uh, the responsibility and obligation we have, the accountability that we should exercise among one another and as church members to believe and to promote and to confess the truth, it should be a daunting obligation. It's something that requires our every effort Now, why does it require our every effort? Well, I'm going to get into it more particularly, but it requires our every effort, beloved, because we are so slippery when it comes to the truth. Our feet easily finds the rocks to stumble on. And of course, God is gracious and compassionate. He holds us up. But beloved, it seems like we are always needing to preach and teach to ourselves the Word of God, the truth, because we are always so susceptible to lies. And I'm not talking about just the lies of the world. I'm talking about the lies we tell ourselves. Those things that we tell ourselves on a consistent basis that we're going to look at this morning. Now, beloved, I don't love being a prophet of doom, 
are reminding you of the state and condition of our own national religion in America, but it's a, a, a body of Christ that is steeped and full of all kinds of error. It's not secret, and in fact, much of it's promoted. You have Christians today. Tim Keller being one of them. Many others who are taking a softer and softer and softer stand on the position of homosexuality in the Bible. There is a great amount of pressure put upon Christians today to conform to these social justice standards of gender, sex, ethnicity, and other things. And we are, whether we like it or not, forced to decide and make a decision and continually ask ourselves, what is it that makes one a Christian? Now, I'm not talking about from the divine sense of the word because only God makes a true Christian. Only God, by the power of His Spirit, can make the dead living. Only God. Only God can take the darkened mind and turn on the heavenly lights. Only God can wash and cleanse the conscience. Only God can do that. But, what is that obligation of the one who's been cleansed? What is the responsibility of the one that's had the heavenly light shined upon in their hearts? What's their obligation? What should they then be committed to? You know, we don't like the word duty and responsibility. And it's interesting because... When you think about it, you can understand why rebels and the world in general do not like words like duty, obligation, and responsibility. They love to change the definition of these words because these words demand authority. If there's an obligation, that means there is someone over you that's requiring something of you. Right? Think about it. If you say, I have an obligation, then you are stating that there is a duty you owe to someone transcendent from yourself. Now, if we can do away with duties and responsibilities and obligations, we can do away with sort of the transcendent God, which all of these duties we're talking about flow from. They flow from Him to us. But we have to ask ourselves, what is it that makes that visible Christian? What is it that makes the visible church a true church? What set of doctrines, if any, must a Christian believe in order to be considered a Christian? Now, I ask that because anybody and most people say, well, I'm a Christian, but I'm for all of these various things that Scripture clearly is against. Do they have the right to call themselves Christians? Do we have the obligation and responsibility to accept them as Christians? I want you to think about it. 
how large would that list be in your own mind? That is, do you consider everybody you meet who claims to be a Christian a Christian? And based upon what? Based upon what? Well, there are two areas of examination that must take place. What they believe and how they live. Those are the two areas that we must keep in check our own in our own lives, right? What we believe and how we live. Those two can never be separated, though Satan does a fine job in separating them, because there are all there, there are multitudes of people that are one or the other. There are some that say, well, you know, Christianity is just a set of Doctrines, it's just a set of rules, and I ascribe to these rules like I would ascribe to the boys' club rules or the girls' club or United Way or any other, you know, uh, or social organization. And you can then you have those who say, Well, it's not about what you believe. And you've heard this one, you may have even been guilty of this one. It's not. It's not what you believe that really matters. It's how you live. But if you separate confession of the truth from living, you're still in danger of hell. Both are in danger of hellfire. Believing the right thing. The devils believe the right things. The devils does not James teach us that the devils believe in God and tremble. They know God is all-powerful, almighty, all-glorious. They know He's worthy of all worship, honor, and glory. They know this. But yet, do they do it? They don't. They fear God with a, with a, 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 a fear that causes them to actually tremble. But are they ever going to spend one millisecond in heaven under God's grace and mercy? They are not. And then you have the other category. You have those who, who don't believe in any intellectualism. I mean, you know, it's almost check your mind in at the door if you're really going to be a Christian and just, just believe, believe. No, no creed or confession but Christ. All I need to know that Christ died for me. I don't need to know anything else. And all that matters is what's in your heart. Now, brothers and sisters, there's a lot of people that take food to the poor, clothing to the naked. There's a lot of people who visit people in prison. They're not going to heaven because they don't believe the right things. I want to impress you this morning with that role and with that obligation we have to confess the truth. So we're not talking about Simple intellectual assent, but nor are we talking about social deeds. Those things must come together. We must, as a body of Christ, conform to and be transformed by the Word of God. We must conform to the teaching of God's Word, and God's Word must transform us. It not only fills our heads, but it must guide and fill our hearts that we would delight and rejoice and desire to be conformed into that blessed image of Jesus. 
How are church officers to judge one's profession of faith credible if there's not some standard of truth or doctrine? How would a church officer... What, what, what's he to use? How do you judge? Remember what the Apostle John said in, in the epistle of 1 John. He said, now they went out from us Talking about some had left the church. He said, now the reason they went out from us because they never were really part of us. Why? Because they never really, truly, truly accepted the profession that Jesus is both God and man. They didn't fully accept that. And they ended up over time, over time of what? Preaching and what? being pressed to believe these things, what could they do? I don't, I don't believe that. I don't go somewhere else. How would church officers determine whether or not a Christian in the church is even sliding into gross error without some system or body of truth? How many times have you heard, brothers and sisters, over the last year, some statement to the effect... Well, nobody has a right to tell me what to believe or do. I mean, that the concept of going to church and having some authority, some spiritual authority over one in order to help them grow up in the image of Christ is not only foreign today, it's disdained. It's not wanted. And you can see right there, isn't it? I've said enough to promote the idea that there's a problem with that. There's a logical problem. There's a rational problem. I mean, would you expect a child, imagine a little child, a little boy or a little girl, four or five years old, able you know, to speak well and articulate their own thoughts. Imagine that child never ever having, uh, uh, never ever uh, being made to acknowledge father or mother as father and mother and their rules. Imagine the five-year-old child just demanding its rights, demanding whatever it wants to do be fulfilled, and never ever acknowledging their role, their membership, their love and adoration for the parents that, that love them, teach them, you know, cook for them, and prepare every day for them. Imagine that. Now, don't you see how naturally that's wrong? You see how naturally that's wrong? No one would ever look at that and go, that's acceptable. How much more, how much more God's spiritual children? How much more? Like, right, the Bible loves to argue from the lesser to the greater. It was just a few weeks ago we talked about the, the, the role of the church in going after brothers and sisters that stray, Right? That error. The book of Deuteronomy in its case laws talks about if a man sees his neighbor's ox going astray, what is his responsibility to that ox? He's to retrieve it. He's to go get it and keep it for his neighbor, isn't he? Well, if we have an obligation to go after a beast, how much more God's child? If we have the obligation to go after a beast of burden, 
an animal and hold it for its master, our neighbor. If we're to consider our neighbor's sovereignty over the beast, how much more God's ownership over His children? If we're going to honor human authority, right? If we're going to honor human um, uh, the, the, the human laws regarding property, how about God's property? How much more should we honor that? Because that's kind of way what we are addressing here. We're talking about preserving ourselves, beloved, from gross and scandalous error, heresies and and misjudgments and apprehensions of scriptural truth that affect the body in a negative way, that sullen the testimony of Christ in this world. That's what we're talking about. How do we keep from doing that? How do we keep from, how do you keep from sullen God's testimony in the world? How do you stay salt and light? That's what we're going to talk about. That's the purpose of this series. Are those who advocate such things, creedal integrity, confessional truth, are they overstepping Scripture? Shouldn't we have the Bible? Isn't the Bible enough? Shouldn't we just be able to say no creed but Christ and be done with it? Doesn't that sound better than quoting the Apostles' Creed or the Nicene Creed? Isn't that better than reading our Westminster Confession of Faith, large and shorter catechisms? You see, even as, as, as good as that may sound, we still have to ask the question, if it's no creed but Christ, not only is that a small creed, but it's a creed lacking in clarity. What about Christ? If we are to have no creed but Christ, which Christ are we referring to? Which Christ are we speaking about? Are we talking about the Christ of Mohammedism, who believes in Jesus? Are we talking about the Christ of the Jehovah Witnesses? Or, wait a minute, are we talking about the spirit brother of Satan, which is what Mormons teach about Jesus? Which Jesus would we be speaking about if we are to say, no creed but Christ? See, it begs the question, something needs to be explained. And yes, no creed but Christ is a creed, but I would tell you it's a deficient creed and not a very good one. It leaves too much in question. And one thing we desperately need, beloved, as the followers of Jesus Christ is clarity. We do. We need clarity. Why? Because we're very muddled in our thinking at times. The clearer our doctrine, the better we will think about that doctrine and the easier it will be for us to implement it into our daily lives. We must stress clarity and scriptural integrity through creedal forms and systems and confessions. And I can say, I'm not getting into, and I'll do that over the next several months, but just, just wanting us to be impressed with this morning your role and relationship to the truth of God's Word. 
How is that expressed? That is, if, I, if you were asked this morning to articulate what a Christian is, what, is a, what, what doctrines must someone believe to be a Christian? What's the minimal system of truth? What would you say? Now, if you can't say anything, maybe by the end of the sermon you would be impressed to change that. What about this statement? made by a very popular teacher in Atlanta, Charles Stanley's son, who said, we need to unhitch the New Testament from the Old. We need to unhitch the New Testament from the Old. That all we really need to do is look to Jesus. That's all we need. We need to point people to Jesus. But again... It's lacking and it begs the question, which Jesus and what does I need to see about this Jesus? What is it I need to know about this Jesus? And where am I going to go to learn any of that? Except but both the Old and New Testaments. Just like the saying that was very popular several years ago, you know, what would Jesus do? That if we just recited that statement that somehow that was a statement of orthodoxy and piety. You know, it was sort of a statement, oh, well, he's saying, he has the wristband that says, what would Jesus do? They must be Christians. No, not necessarily. There are a lot of people that follow Jesus just by being a good teacher, not Savior. Not as God, not as man, not as Redeemer, not as Mediator, not as their prophet, not as their priest and king. He's just a good moral teacher. Why do you think churches of the past spent so much time explaining Christ? Because of all the errors concerning Christ. Because of all of the vain ideas and philosophies about Jesus, it was the church's job in order to preserve salvation and preach salvation. They had to preserve the teaching and truth about who Jesus is is and what Jesus requires of His church. We're being pressed today, like no other, to accept different forms of of justice, which I'm going to spend time later on speaking about. Different viewpoints on gender. What makes a man? What makes a woman? What's the role between husband and wife? What's the roles of sex? What's the priority of sex? And what is this ethnicity? We're being pressed to to conform to new modes of understanding about all these things, aren't we? And they're forcing us to not only adopt these particular sets of doctrines and ideas, but they're also, it also requires us, notice, to look at one another differently. Brothers and sisters, we cannot escape that dualism, what we believe is related to how we live. As a man or woman thinketh in their heart, so are they. It's important that we not only know the truth, but grasp the truth, believe the truth, 
and live the truth. You have to have all of it. What does our verse this morning in Amos teach us? Do two men or can two men walk together unless they have made an agreement? Can people walk together in in unity and harmony unless they be in agreement about what they believe and about how they want to live? They can't. It's impossible. And yet, the world tells the Christian to lay down their convictions. Lay down your doctrine. Lay down these old truths from this old book that have no purpose in our day and culture and society. Lay them down. Because, see, guess what? We can't walk with you if you hold to these ideas. And brothers and sisters, I want to ask you something. I've already asked you about being what a, what a Christian is and what a Christian needs to believe. But let me ask you this. Don't you think a Christian must be separate? A Christian is one who is called out of the world. Called out of the world to whom? To God? Well, we are to be separate. And we must not fight conforming ourselves to the ideas of this world and to the lies of Satan. What I mean by that is we have to, as Christians, we have to fight to do it. We have to put off what? The impulses and promptings of the Holy Spirit. The conviction of the Holy Spirit that says, you know know what? This is wrong. This is wrong. You're being a man pleaser here. You're afraid. You're afraid that your friends won't like you. You're afraid. Uh, you, you, You want all the friendships with all the wrong people. Your love of money is too much. You know, preachers fall into this more than anybody else, I think. I mean, there's this idea and mentality that in the circles of preaching, we must what? We have to have the bigger churches. We have to have the notoriety. And that's why all of the idolatry and the, 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 the sort of rock star-ism among the preachers, if you look at all the Christian conferences, you have all the same speakers. And, and you know what? The church isn't any better. Idolatry is idolatry. You don't worship men. God can take away every minister in this nation and His church will still survive because He will bring the truth to His people. Look at Amos chapter 5, verse 10. We're going to look at a series of Scriptures and then we're going to, I'm going to make some points and then we'll be uh, finished for this morning. Amos chapter 5 and verse 10. What I'm going to do is read to you several passages of Scripture that will help us formulate a solid understanding of our obligation and relationship with the truth. And it's something that you cannot not do. Amos chapter 5 verse 10. They hate Him who reproves in the gate and they abhor Him who speaks with integrity. Now, obviously the prophet is speaking and referring to that person who remains in solidarity with God. The culture 
and the climate, uh, the, the cultural climate is digressing. It's on a downgrade. And it, what is being promoted is error, laxity, syncretism, compromise. And those who speak with integrity, those who would come and speak honestly, openly, the truth of God's Word are not going to be liked. They're not going to be enjoyed. They're not going to be appreciated. Now what is this gate? The gate in the Old Testament was that, that arena of the public. To do it at the gate was to do it openly and publicly. Brothers and sisters, when, when one speaks out against error and injustice and lies and abominations, notice the response he receives is direct related to the climate and the, 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 of the prevailing culture. He who reproves in the gate and they abhor him who speaks with integrity. Is that not true in our own day? And notice this gate is not pagans. Who makes up the gate but God's people? Have you ever been in the circle when you begin to... To say something just, here's what God's Word says, and Christians chide you for it. And say, you believe that? I can't believe you believe that. You really believe that. And you are being scolded and reprimanded for believing the truth of God's Word. I've literally had Christians, and this was before I was a pastor, tell me, you depend way too much on the Bible. You actually believe the Bible too much. I said, is that possible? Is that possible? Like, you can do that? I mean, because honestly, I don't think I believe it enough. I think my temptation is not to believe it enough, not to give it its full weight and measure, right? But the Bible tells us of times when God's people will not hear the truth. They have become so hardened and so compromised in sinning that they do not want to be corrected. They will not hear the truth. They can't hear it. Their ears burn under the preaching of the truth. And they lash out with hostility. And they assassinate the character of any who would speak the truth. Turn to Matthew chapter 5. Let's look at several passages. Matthew chapter 5, verse 11. Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Now, when you hear this word because of me, I don't want you to say, oh yeah, Jesus is my buddy. I want you to think, okay, no. Jesus is my Savior, my mediator, my prophet, priest, and king, and He's given me a body of truth to believe. So when people come and persecute you because of the teaching and the, the doctrines that Jesus has given you to believe, all right, you're blessed. He says, Rejoice and be glad, for your reward in heaven is great. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who came to do what? Preach the truth who were before you. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt has become tasteless, how can it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. 
Nor does anyone light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand, and it gives its light to all who are in the house. Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Now, what is this light? The light is the truth of God's Word. What does He say? Let it be public. Make the good confession. Say what needs to be said. Now, now listen, do not hear. There are seasons to speak and seasons to withhold your tongue. But when it comes time to speak and you speak and you're hated for it, so be it. So be it. We're not talking about being troublemakers. We're not talking about being busybodies. But when you have the opportunity to make that good confession about Christ, the question is, will you do it? Can you do it? And do you want to do it? Let's look at um, Luke chapter 8. All these scriptures are going to be relatively the same. They're going to teach us the same thing. But I'm just doing this from several passages of scripture. Um, It's similar to what we just heard, but there's a nuance to it. I I want to bring that out. Look at verse 16. Now, no one after lighting a lamp covers it over with a container or puts it under a bed, but he puts it on a lampstand so that those who come in may see the light. Now, notice the importance of truth. So that all who come may what? Understand. They may see the truth, hear the truth, have the truth presented to them. For nothing is hidden that will not become evident, nor anything secret that will not be known and come to light. So take care how what? Notice the, listen, for whoever has, to him more shall be given. And whoever does not have, even what he thinks he has shall be taken away. Here's the point I want to make here. When a people become tired of the truth, there is something in theology called familiar listening. It's the idea that we can come under the preaching of the gospel and you know what? We don't hear anything. You know why? Because we're so accustomed to it. It's called familiar hearing. It's kind of like when a child is guilty. You know, the mama talks. And it's like, yes, ma'am, yes, ma'am, yes, ma'am, yes, sir, yes, sir, yes, sir. They're not listening. You say, well, what did I say? You're not listening. And And here's what the Lord says. The Lord says, when you come into the presence of a sacred time and you don't hear the truth, you've become so dull to hearing the truth God takes it away. For what one has, that is any truth that you've accumulated, anything that you've stored up, guess what happens? When you begin to harden your heart to the hearing of the Word of God or the reading of the Word of God, or anything you may sit under the teaching of God's Word, when you begin hardening, guess what happens? The Word of God is taken away and taken away and taken away and taken away until there's nothing left. And as the Word of God decreases, Sin will increase. Sin will increase. As the barrier of sin is removed, what's left? But to go on sinning more and more and more. We come into these sacred times, beloved, where we come into the presence of God Almighty who is truth itself, we should be prepared to listen, to receive 
to put into practice what we learn. Romans chapter 10. Romans chapter 10. You probably all know where I'm going with this, but it's important. Verse 8 through 10. But what does it say? The Word is near you in your mouth and in your heart. Notice, mouth and heart. That is the Word of faith. That is, faith in the Word or that which come together. That is, that is the Word of faith which we preached. That if you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one per, a person believes, resulting in righteousness, and with the mouth he confesses, resulting in salvation. Notice, brothers and sisters, the, the, the mouth and the heart are together. They are in unity together. What we confess with our mouths, we must believe in our hearts. If we're going to sit here and say Jesus is Lord, are we going to live like He's Lord of my life? I read, you know, it's interesting, I read, I read one of the old reformers this past week. He said, you know, when a man will put God off, how useful do you think that man or woman will be to his brother or sister? I mean, if you, do, if you, if you, feel, if you feel okay with putting God off, you are not going to worry about your brother or sister. You'll put them off too. Why is it so important? Why is this truth so needed? Why do we need to be concerned? Why do we need to give ourselves to it? Why do we need to study it? Why do we need to read it? Why do we need to come, come so tenderly and consciously to the preaching of the God's Word? Well, let me give you two reasons. Reason number one is because we have three great enemies. Reason number one is negative. We have three great enemies. The first great enemy we have is Satan. And what is Satan? What's the role of Satan? What is Satan's purpose for anybody? He wants to deceive them. Right? He wants to lie. He will lie. He will cheat. He'll steal. He's a murderer. He is an adversary. He's one who comes and accuses the brethren. And now, I'm not going to go into all of the various facets. I may do that later on. But listen, I just want to leave you with this. When we talk about Satan being a deceiver, what is he trying to deceive you from? What is he trying to deceive you to? He's trying to keep you from knowing God's Word. And that's exactly what he did with Eve. Did God really say? That's what he said to Eve. He, he manipulated and craftily reworded some doctrine so that Eve was confused. See how he was, he was the master of not being clear. Oh, God wasn't clear. You're not going to die. And then he gives her a promise. You know, the promise is you're not going to die. Here, Satan re rewords her thinking, her doctrine, and beliefs. Here's what you need to believe, and guess what? You're not going to die. That is, 
Satan, not only one thing, Satan deception, but he comes with these lies. And here's what Satan says to you. Satan says, you can be free from God, His law. You can be free from the obligations of a Christian and still go to heaven. Don't worry about it. You can have true freedom by not obeying God. That's Satan's lie. And yet, how many times do we believe that? How many times do we believe that and how does it look? How does it work out? We believe that, but then we change the way we live. We say, well, it doesn't comport with our confession of faith, right? Because we've done adopted some lie of Satan who says, oh, don't worry about it. That stuff's not important. I've got a statement here. It reads something like this. Satan comes with great temptation. He's a deceiver. He's a twister of the truth and deceives the ignorant. He promotes false religion, cold religion, compromised religion, dead religion, new religion, all-inclusive, without distinctions religion, but never, never, never will he ever advocate true religion. Never. But he will, he will advocate everything but true religion. He doesn't mind if you sit in church. Just be cold. He doesn't mind if you sit in church. Just compromise. He doesn't mind if you go to church and you're a member of a church. Go listen to J.C. Ryle's sermon from last week. He doesn't mind any of that stuff. Because he knows that church membership is not the ticket to heaven. It's believing and trusting and resting in Christ alone is the ticket to heaven. And what does that look like? And how does that translate into one who believes in their heart that Jesus is Lord and confesses with their mouth that He is the Savior of all men? How does that look? He deceived Eve. He even deceived Cain. Cain is a great representation of the world that will not have true piety. Cain couldn't stand Abel. He couldn't stand Abel's righteousness. He couldn't stand that Abel was particular in his worship. That Abel actually did things the way God had commanded him to do them. Cain couldn't stand his integrity and he couldn't stand to look at him. So finally he lured him out into the forest and killed him. That's why Luther said, as long as we live in this world, Cain will always be killing Abel. The world cannot stand Christians. And Jesus told us such. Now Satan is a liar. He masquerades as an angel of light. He masquerades as one of God's servants. But he's not. Uh, let's talk about the world. What is, so Satan's, what's Satan's role to deceive you? Now what's the counterpoint to Satan's deception? His error. Our prophet. Lord Jesus we have a great prophet who comes with infallible truth to teach us the truth 
the infallible Word of God and He comes to teach us and He comes to bring clarity to our thinking and clarity to our thoughts and clarity to our meditations and He comes because you know what? Jesus never ever promotes any false religion but only the true religion that leads to heaven. Everything our heavenly prophet teaches us is for that step to heaven. Everything. Everything Jesus requires of us and puts upon us is all so that we may secure for ourselves that heavenly abode in the end. Every bit of it. Then you have the world. What's the world always trying to get you to do? Conform? See, the world provides the platform for you to exercise the error, doesn't it? And it applauds. It applauds the error. Oh, we love you. Oh, wait a minute. Wait a minute. You're one of those Christians that believe that homosexuality is is okay? Come on in. You're one of those Christians that don't believe the Bible's infallible rule of faith and practice? Come on in. Oh, wait a minute. You're one of those Christians that don't believe that just, you know, that don't believe you have to do anything but just profess Jesus as Lord. That's all you have to come on in. You can be in our number. The world loves its own. It hates Christ. And it hates all who conform to Christ. The world provides that platform and popularity of any who would, who would just live out these sins. The world is always trying to conform us to the devil's lies and perversions. You know, have you noticed, you know, was it what, about 15 years ago, 20 years ago, even among liberals, abortion was supposed to be considered rare? But now it's celebrated. Murder celebrated. Murder of the unborn is not rare. It's celebrated. Celebrated. Openly. Publicly. On television. For thousands and millions to see. We have articles in papers and upon our news feeds that says, I'm proud of my five abortions. And they are applauded. That's the world. That's the world. The world applauds, accepts, and promotes everything God hates. Everything God hates. We live in the world, don't we? What's our counter to the world? Our great high priest. Jesus knows we live in this world. And we sometimes get polluted by it, don't we? What's our great high priest do? Cleanse us. He offers his blood as that cleansing agent of our sins because we stumble and we fall in this world. And sometimes we get wrapped up in these ideas that have been deceptive. We didn't see it at first, but then we see it later. And we come to Jesus and he cleanses us from our sins. Our great high priest stands ready to cleanse us from all the defilements and pollutions of this world and our sin. Then we have the flesh, and I won't speak much about it because I've already talked so much about it in in the last month or so. 
But what's our flesh? What's our flesh's role? If, if Satan is trying to deceive us and the world is trying to conform us to the lies and the deception of Satan and the errors of Satan, what's the flesh trying to do? Enslave us. Enslave us. The flesh would have you enslaved to whatever it is you want to do except for what God wants you to do. That's it. That's the flesh. I don't, whatever God wants you to do, the flesh wants the opposite. The flesh wants the opposite. What's our counter to that? Our great, the Lord Jesus, who is our King. Our King comes, and what does He do? Our King comes to kill the flesh in us. How does He kill the flesh in us? Word of truth. What did we read in the opening call to worship? What did Jesus say? Lord, sanctify them in Thy Word. Thy Word is truth. Our heavenly King comes and brings to us, beloved, the Word of God that He might cleanse us and and, and help us put to death those feelings and emotions and urges we have to do what? Not listen, not do, not obey. Do our own thing. Well, let's take what Jesus said and let's make our own little application of it. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 25 says, Therefore, put away falsehood. Let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Another great verse that helps us understand that we ought to be people of truth. People who are speaking the truth. Not just, we read that verse and we say, well, I need to tell my brother the truth. But that's not, speak the truth. What's the truth? The truth is what God would have us speak at whatever given moment, applicable to whatever situation and circumstance, speak to that truth. Because it doesn't matter if the brother or sister is a true brother and sister, it will resonate with them. Because the Spirit that's in every true believer is called the Spirit of Truth. We've been given a Savior who is called the Word of Truth. We've been given the Spirit, who is called the Spirit of Truth. And we've been given the Word that is called the Word of Truth. Beloved, what should we all be willing to do as we come across godly and good confessions? Speak them. And do them. And we're going to spend the next several months looking at the Apostles' Creed. We're going to take each article and look at it and explain what it means. One theologian said this, and I'm going to close with this statement. He said, the Ten Commandments, the Lord's Prayer, and the Apostles' Creed lay the foundation for any culture and society. That a person who knows these three articles well will live well. The Ten Commandments, the Lord's Prayer, the Apostles' Creed. Let's pray.